What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I'm your host, DC. And, of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, on this episode, I want to talk about the great organization that one day will take over the UFC (laughs) for the number one MMA organization in the land. Actually, you know it's funny? I don't even know if we can call them an MMA organization. They're just a fight promotion. I was going to say, it'd just be a combat sport organization. Yeah. Because, like, the only thing they don't have... a combat sports promoter, I guess you'd label them as. Yeah, because as far as, like, combat sports, the only thing they don't have is boxing. I was going to say, they got regular kickboxing, Muay Thai kickboxing, MMA, and straight jiu-jitsu grappling, right? Yep, yep, exactly. So, yeah. But, yeah, one, as, you know... All the listeners may know, I really like the product. I really just think it's a superior product to the UFC. I love the UFC. It's my, my, it's still actually my favorite promotion. It's just that I don't see them making the leaps and bounds that I see one making. And one's product is a lot better. So the visual look at a promotion, what they do, how crisp it is, how smooth it runs. It just seems I like it a lot better than the UFC in that area and they are continuously doing things that I feel like are cutting edge or mixing the old with the new. Even one of the things we haven't talked about on this show yet, and we don't have to dive into it right now. I'm just throwing it out there. But they're one of the first organizations to go ahead and really start making rules and moves toward stopping fighters from cutting too much weight. So they literally have the hydration tests and all that. You, they find out what your walking around weight is based on your training. And then from there, you can only lose so much weight. And even then there's hydration tests to make sure you don't go down too far. So we've heard people in the UFC talk about this, but nothing's being done anywhere else. So, you know, and they're also kind of pioneers in the mixed rules kind of area too, which like. When Jake Paul was just talking about a two-fight, one boxing, one MMA deal over at PFL, I think that's cool that they're doing that, but that kind of stuff, that's got one written all over it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, yeah, we got to talk about that on one of these episodes because it's interesting some of the stuff they're doing over at PFL too. Going back to the product though, I just, the product to me still seems more Bellatorish. It's like something about it. I can't put my finger on it. Like something's not polished with the product. And I think right now the only there's only two organizations that have a polished product. 
that's the UFC and one, and I think one's product is a lot better. But I think the issue, mm-hmm. I know we won't get too deep into it, but I like PFL. I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of the different things they're doing with their format and stuff like that. And I know you do, you are too, but I think one of the things we talk about with one is not only is it a very good production, yep. but they have the talent. It's just talent that we haven't heard of. Yeah, I think over in PFL, you got two strikes right there. You know, the production quality is not up to the level of one. And I just don't think they have the Bellator-esque aged out UFC fighters, but they don't necessarily right. have the up-and-coming talent, in my opinion, that some of the other right. organizations have. And I think that's kind of one of the only things holding them back. But, you know, maybe a couple big free acquisitions, maybe that's what they're working to change. Yeah, I agree. They need like a homegrown, like a Michael Chandler or a the Alvarez or Douglas Lima. A lot of those guys were homegrown before Coker was there, like, you know, Bellator homegrown guys that was really excited to watch. Pitbull Brothers, where they were the reason originally I used to watch Bellator when they really were getting that young, exciting talent before they went the route of just kind of getting old UFC guys. But but I digress. <laughs> so uh, on today's... Today on the PFL podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so on today's episode, we're actually talking about... We want to kick this off talking about one recently announced or this last event that they had. I, uh, I do just want to point out that we yes. just joked and laughed about... Ha, a PFL podcast. How silly. Anyways, let me get back to talking about my obscure <laughs> Japan organization that we're doing our 10th episode on. Well, what's funny is it's good that we talked about that because what that really told me was, and going back even to the Jake Paul thing, is that we need to do a PFL episode, right? So it, it actually had, you know, it had some fruits. There was some dirt and some roots there. We just haven't gotten that little seedling to come up out of the dirt, but it was something there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's ironic that uh, Dana White was referencing Nate Diaz when he came up with the d- term needle mover, because say what you want about him, Jake Paul is definitely a fucking needle mover. I totally agree. Totally agree. So yeah, on this one, with we're going to talk about one announcement in this last event that they had this past weekend, or who knows when this comes out, so... This will probably come out like three, four weeks after the actual event. But uh, the head guy, the CEO over at One announced that they were going to do a one open weight Muay Thai Grand Prix. And it's going to be old school open weight. You know, anybody can enter as far as, well, it's going to be a 16 man tournament. So only 16 people can enter, but it's not weight restricted. So literally if a 35er wanted to join and they saw it fit to put that 35er in they could put him in and you may see in the brackets a 35er against a 265er i hope we don't see anything like that but that's what was thrown out there and before i go into any other there well let me say this there's not a lot of details around like exact and we know it's going to be muay thai but anything like definitive where they really laid a lot out they did say that the prize would be a million dollars, but they didn't say if, let's say, those people have to be under contract, if they're going to get a show money, and then just the grand prize is a million dollars. A lot of that I didn't see ironed out. But before I get into anything else specific, I want to get your overall take on it. 
Well, I, I like the idea of a, um, open weight tournaments. I'm not a huge Muay Thai fan. I think most people are not. It doesn't seem to be something that people are really into. I mean, I feel like even just regular kickboxing gets more steam than Muay Thai, which is terrible because nobody gives a shit about kickboxing, which is weird because you think it's a more dynamic sport, but nobody likes it. Yeah, it's And weird. even less like Muay Thai. So anytime they do these Grand Prix, it always brings a lot of, you know, spotlight onto the sport. So I always think those are positive for the open weight. I really like that Japan doesn't give a shit. They're like, you know what? It might be 2023 out there, but over here in Japan, it's always 1995. You know <laughs> what right. I mean? We're doing straight tournaments, <laughs> open weight all the time. Yeah, no, I agree. And I do think that I have, well, I have mixed feelings about it being open weight. I do think it's a good idea whenever you can say, quote unquote, truly say who's the baddest man on the planet. What I don't want, though, I wish it was broken in half, right? I wish it was two tournaments and you had like maybe a 185 to heavyweight and maybe a 170 down because I really just don't want to see somebody that's really tough, that's really, really good at Muay Thai, that's a, once again a 55 or a 35 or something like that that decides that it's a good idea for them to go and fight a heavyweight in Muay Thai. I think they could really get seriously hurt. I think 85 is pushing it, but that 85-er without cutting weight is probably going to be around two, 200 pounds, right? That 35-er without cutting weight, at most, what is he going to be? 155 going up against a guy 265? That's just too much to give up. Weight size, range, he'll never be able to, the trade-off as to who can hurt who is so lump-sided toward the worst heavyweight. And I'm not talking about regular people on the street. Yeah, that's different. I'm talking about skilled fighters at today's skill level. These are not bar brawlers or anything like that. These are highly skilled, trained, professional athletes. Yeah, I agree. And... I mean, it's one of the things we've spoken to guy, or we've spoken about guys like Vanderlei or Dan Henderson when we're giving them their flowers. One of the kudos that we always give is them doing the open weights and going against those heavyweights. But out, outside of BJ Penn, that's about as small as you go before you start dealing with those big guys. And when I look at the the roster... So you said, hey, one's doing open weight Muay Thai tournament. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, dream. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm familiar with these open weight tournaments. And I started looking at the roster. And for one, the heaviest rostered fighters that they have are featherweights, which and for the Muay Thai. Is which you no know, over here is 145 over there, maybe 155. Either way, that's way too small to be in open weight tournaments. But even if they're doing open weight without themselves, and this is going to sound, you know, this is a little sissy. I know the badass tough guys will think I'm just being a puss, but even within their own divisions, I believe their top division's at 155 and their lowest is 115. 
there's a lot bigger difference between a 115 pounder and a 155 pounder than there is between a 185er and a heavyweight. Um, yeah, absolutely. And to your point, and I'll just run this off real quick for listeners, just because if you're not used to Asian weight classes, it's different than over here in the U.S. So heavyweight is still the same as 265. Light heavyweight is 225, something that a lot of people want here in the States. Middleweight is 205, which is typically light heavyweight here. Welterweight is 185. Lightweight is 170. Featherweight is 155. Bantamweight is 145. Flyweight is 135. Strawweight is 125. And they do have an atom weight, which is female only, which is 115. And to your point, so right now for kickboxing, they don't have any heavyweight, middleweight, or welterweight that I can find. They do. There's no champion for them. They do have a light heavyweight kickboxing champion. But now for Muay Thai, they don't have heavyweight, light heavyweight, middleweight, or welterweight. So to your point, it pretty much starts off at lightweight where you start getting champions. And right now, the lightweight champion, I believe, is the champion for both both featherweight. I'm sorry. In lightweight is for both Muay Thai and for and for kickboxing. And that is, what's his name? Give me one second. His name is, yes, yeah, uh, Regan is the, like, Christian is the MMA champion. So okay. Christian is, on the last episode, we gave our condolences for Victoria Lee that passed away. That's her older brother. And he's the, he's the lightweight and welterweight champion in MMA. But for kickboxing and Muay Thai, Regan, the immortal, I'm not even going to try that last name. We're just going to call him the immortal. <laughs> he is actually the lightweight champion. So um, when you look at it, I'm wondering if that is the reason for this tournament. Are they about to make a big push to get some big guys over here to really start creating that where they can compete with a glory or something like that with the bigger guys? Yeah, and like you said, they may have some on roster that they just don't have a title for. I will say, for all the props we give one for their their production quality, I am not a fan of this uh, website. And I went with Christian Lee because I was trying to figure out, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason for how they got the divisions listed. And I just seen a dude standing there with two belts, and I'm like, well, that's got to be him. Got to be him. Yeah, two belts. <laughs> and I figured nobody wants to sit here and wait 15 minutes for you to try and figure out the name of somebody that you know. So, I mean, listen, it was only like 30 seconds. We can count it back. <laughs> You're getting better. I'm proud of you. You've been taking Alpha Brain? <laughs> Absolutely not. Not until Joe Rogan goes ahead and give us a sponsorship. <laughs> Those nootropics, uh... man. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, to your point, their website was not good at all. They actually updated today, but it was really hard. And even the update is just not up to par with, you know, some of the other sites out there. But it's really hard to tell who exactly is in what division. And even some divisions have champions, but there's no ranks on the website for the division. So you for you to even know who's in the top five, who's in the top 10 to really research it. And the problem with that I see is, especially with guys like us that 
are trying to bring more attention to an organization like one for us to really have the details needed to help provide it to people. And then for them to go and look and really dive in a lot of people for a lot of people, that information is what they need. So now they can say, Oh, this guy is number three. Let me go and look him up. Has he fought for the title yet? Is he up and coming? What's his record? Let me see. So, you know, his what, let me watch his last three fights. Right. But if that information isn't there, it really just doesn't allow you to kind of dive in in that way, you know? Definitely. And yeah, I did find, so they do have heavyweights. So I guess they just don't have a division for them. Well, those are MMA though. Right. So that's why I wonder if they're going to move over a couple of those or. Well, that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to touch on next. Kind of going to what's the possibilities that I even see, because if you look at that, the only guy up in the heavier weight class, you have um, Roman Krakilla, and he is the light heavyweight champion for kickboxing, right? So that was the one where I mentioned he has, you know, basically a kickboxing. He has the kickboxing title, but there's nobody even in that weight class for Muay Thai that I've seen. Right. And there was, I guess, a heavyweight Grand Prix at one point in time that he won, but it doesn't seem like much came out of that. But the other two guys that you see above him, those are both MMA fighters. So even when you look at this, I don't feel like they do a really good job of spelling out exactly what type of champion everybody, you know, is. But what I notice is if it doesn't say, kickboxing next to it they may be mma but even then some of those are off right but some of them will specifically say kickboxing and muay thai and usually the ones that don't say anything it's probably mma that said though the question is when i looked at this now of course if they decide to open it up i have a question about that later so i'm not going to touch on right now them opening it up to you know outside of one but just looking at one's talent and looking at the champions right now, right? For the champions, if they decide to even make that crossover, they may not. When I look at some of these guys, and I even looked up kind of what their sizes were and everything like that, you have Roman, who I mentioned. He's probably going to be the favorite to win. He's a big dude, even though he's a light heavyweight, but he's like... He would be an American heavyweight. Think like a Engano type fighter or something like that, or maybe a little smaller. I would say think of like a Stipe type of guy. So, and I, he's a little taller than Stipe, but he's 6'7", 232 pounds. So he would be a heavyweight here in the States, but he's that mid-tier heavyweight where, you know, he has room to put on a few pounds for this tournament should he decide to enter. And I think based on him already being the light heavyweight champion and the heavyweight Grand Prix champion, he would be the favorite to win. I went back and watched some of his fights. He's pretty good. You know, uh, you have the current heavyweight champion, the current official heavyweight champion, Singh, and he's a 6-1-240. You have the interim heavyweight champion. These are both MMA. Lotsky. And he is the light heavyweight champion and the interim heavyweight champion. They are already scheduled, Singh and Slotsky, to go ahead and fight to unify this heavyweight champion. 
he's not a big guy, even though he's stocky. He's 5'11", 225, right? That right there covers your champions in all of one at the higher weight class. And when I looked at just fighters on the roster, period, in fighting in any discipline at heavyweight and light heavyweight, it was only roughly about 70 fighters or something like that, which isn't a lot of fighters. So before I get to some of the smaller guys, any thoughts on that? No, I looked through, and to be honest, I had a hard time even keeping track of who's who. It was just a cluster, such a clusterfuck of fighters. And one, they must get a deal on belts because they buy them in bulk because they got a thousand divisions, man. I think it's because, you know, going back to what we talked about, there's so many different, um, because they have MMA and Muay Thai and kickboxing and uh, grappling, right? You need a belt for all of those. And then they also have Grand Prix champions, which you can always tell a Grand Prix champion because their belts are silver instead of gold. Right. But so, yeah, you would put out a lot of belts doing that. But what I love is it the UFC is just now getting around to that, where if you really want this super fight, we'll give it to you. If you remember back in the day, you had to clear out a division to fight against another champion. That's not the case today. But at one, you win a belt and you win a fight or two. You want to fight the upper or lower champion? Yeah, go for it. You want to cross over and you want to be the MMA champion and the Muay Thai champion? Yeah, go for it. You know, it's like, yeah, we'll give you a belt. <laughs> go, go beat this guy. We'll give you a belt. <laughs> uh, okay, so now, if we did not go with that, if we did not go with that, that upper division, because as we talked about, I highly d- doubt that they're going to split everything off. Then we slowly move down to, to the other divisions right now. I didn't see that there's any welterweight champion, but at middleweight, which would be, you know, kind of that cutoff, right? The middleweight, well, I'm sorry, welterweight would be that cutoff, but at middleweight, we, which is 205, which will be light heavyweight here. We do have the Dutch Knight Rainier. Now, he's another guy that can, I think, can put on some size. And if he wanted to enter, you know, I don't think it would be a big deal. He's the current middleweight champion, and he was the former light heavyweight champion. Uh, the gentleman that has the light heavyweight title now is who beat him for that championship. I think he was like the first or the second like champ champ over and one. And so, but he's still the middleweight champion. He's six, four, two Oh five. So easily, you know, he can put on another 20 pounds, 30 pounds. And I don't think he would have a big issue with size going over. But then from there, we drop all the way down to that lower weight class. So we got at 170 who you mentioned, Christian Lee. Now, once again, all the people we're talking about right now, these are all, MMA fighters because there's no kickboxing or Muay Thai champions in these weight classes until we get down to what did we say? Uh, actually the next guy till the next guy at lightweight, but all the rest of them we talked about were all MMA fighters with the exception of the lone kickboxer Roman. Okay. So we got Christian Lee. He's currently the light 
weight and welterweight MMA champion, and he won the lightweight Grand Prix. From there, we have Regan, the Immortal, which I mentioned before. He is the lightweight kickboxing and Muay Thai world champion. I'm sorry, uh, Christian Lee is 5'10", 170. So, again, I just don't see him getting into a tournament like that. Regan, the Immortal, is 6'2", 170. But he's kind of like a Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz type guy to me. Like, like a lanky. Yeah, like he doesn't have a big build. He doesn't look like he really sucks down to get to 170. He's just tall and like looks like he's naturally slim. And I think a perfect size for 170. Creates a lot of kind of mismatches where he could really use his range and whatnot. And then one other person I want to throw in, I really didn't want to throw in anybody below 170 because it gets ridiculous. But I want to throw this one person in because I read an article that said that this guy might be considering joining. And I hope it's absolutely not true. When they showed the video of him talking, that's not what it sounded like he was saying to me. But they may be, of course, he doesn't speak English, so you're listening to a translator. So I don't know if they're talking about what the translator said or what he actually said based on what they heard speaking the language. Okay. Sounds to me like you're reporting clickbait. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I read it and I listened to the video, but the I don't know how to explain like what he said wasn't clear to me as to what he was talking about. Yeah, so I was just joking, but were... even when you start dealing with translators, mm-hmm. even sometimes, even if the translation's 100% accurate, there could be something missing in context or something like that. So um, it's always tricky when dealing with translators, trying to pin down someone's intentions as opposed to just their words. Yeah, I totally agree. But that fighter is no other than the much-loved, probably the most-loved guy over in one right now, Rotang who recently lost a um, lost a mixed rules match to Demetrius Johnson. And now for context, he did lose on the MMA end. He was winning clearly on the Muay Thai. It was like, you know, different rounds were different styles. But he's 5'6", 135 pounds. Now, once again, I mean, let's not even go to heavyweight. At 5'6", 135 pounds, let's go to the middleweight champion, 6'4", 205. Do we want to see that? <laughs> I do not I do not want to see that whatsoever. And sometimes you got to protect people from themselves because he's probably a wild enough man to try and go and feel like he's the best in the world and he could do it. But that's where somebody smarter would say, maybe you could, which I don't think he could, but maybe you could, but is it worth it? The amount of damage that you would take in a tournament like that, is it worth it? And the answer is no to me. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, not a chance. When I first led the article, where that's where I was a little confused because they kept talking about open weight and they were talking about having big guys versus little guys. And then one of the first names they listed when they were talking about their on-roster talent was Rod Tang. I'm like, yeah, if they had a open-weight, smaller division tournament, which you could look at something like that. Because like I said earlier, there's still a big you know, disparity in size just between those smaller divisions. You know, between their featherweight and their strawweight division. 
or their welterweight, whichever one. This is a huge difference just in there. But yeah, that was one of the names they're throwing out there. And I know in Japan they don't got to deal with the sanctioning bodies or whatever, but I feel like there's no way you can even try and run that out there. Like, I mean, Rod Tang is supposed to be like, like he's like a Thailand treasure, right? You see him like get hurt yeah. really bad, or either right. way, uh, underperforming doesn't do anything for his legacy or anything like that. Yeah, exactly what you said. I think he would get hurt really bad, and I don't think it's worth it. And to your point. I mean, in once again, I jumped from 170 all the way down to 135 because I just don't believe. I believe you know that that um, 185 welterweight should be the cutoff. It should be from welterweight to heavyweight, and then if we go down to lightweight, which is 170, lightweight down. So I think it should be two different tournaments. But to your point, even when you talk about him going up against. One of the lightweight guys, once again, Christian Lee, who's the MMA champion, is 5'10", 170. And as we see in MMA, he's also the welterweight champion, which means he also fights at 185. And then the lightweight kickboxing champion and Muay Thai champion is 6'2", 170. I get it. Rod Tang's a beast. But what is he going to do with 6-2-170 in a kickboxing match, right? And now we're talking about if it was under what we talked about. That would be 170 down. That is a tall task. Open weight? I don't think 6-2-170 competes in, in, you know, in in that higher up to heavyweight. To give, like, for people that don't, have a great grasp of their weight classes over there. That'd be the equivalent of Brandon Moreno fighting Leon Edwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> is it because Moreno's not good? Is it because Rod Tang's not good? Like, no, but no. I mean, at some point Rod Tang probably is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. You're also little. Yeah. And it goes back to what we talked about before. One of the reasons why you kind of don't put heavyweights in the pound for pound best because they're the regular best. Because if you throw everybody in a mixing pot, nine times out of 10, the heavyweight is going to come out on top. The guy that has a chance of beating the heavyweight is usually the light heavyweight. Who's really just a heavyweight himself that cuts a lot of weight. Right. But when it comes down to it, heavyweights don't go into this category because the whole point is if weight was not an issue, and we just looked at skill and everything else, who would be the baddest man? But when weight is a factor and you have highly skilled people, weight is a big deciding factor. And yes, anybody can get lucky. But when you're talking about a tournament especially, and you have to fight multiple giants, it's just not worth it. But now that said, I have something else that, I want to throw out there. So there's two people that I thought about. One person has said he wants to, he's put it out there. He wants to be in this tournament. He's not on one one's roster. And that is no other than Alistair Overeem. Now, he just recently fought the trilogy against, against Badahari, a fight at which he won by KOTKO, something like that. And then, of course, as we knew, because he looked really good 
and really buff. He popped for banned substances shortly thereafter. Of <laughs> <Right>? course. Shocker. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's the thing. You know, we sent him over to one where that should be a problem. If Reem wants Royce, you give Reem his Royce, right? So you send him over to one, but this is the kicker going back to PFL creating all this stuff. What if you have a tournament-only contract, and in that contract, you put Overeem, and you get Francis and Ganu, and you put them on opposite sides of the bracket. And then, if both guys advance to the finals, you get Overeem versus Ngannou too, but you get Roy Reem, which we know is a whole different animal than who Ngannou fought. And I don't think Ngannou has any experience in Muay Thai. I know he has experience in boxing, but not Muay Thai or kickboxing. And we know Overeem has experience in kickboxing, but not Muay Thai. I think it could be a really interesting matchup. And a big part of what Ngano wanted in his departure was he didn't want to be locked down without other options. He wants to box. He wants to do other things. But this could be a way for him to go out there and get a relatively quick million-dollar payday. So your thoughts on one, Overeem saying he wants to be in this competition, and then them getting Overeem and Nganu and putting them on opposite ends of the bracket. So, of course, Overeem wants in. It's what, it's what he does. He's like a ronin, a kickboxing ronin. Like, he doesn't like to be tied down to UFC. He just wants to wander the world looking for random weird tournaments. I mean, Japanese Overeem is always scary, but um, I'm not a big fan of Overeem. I never, never really have been, and I would like to see him enter the tournament and then i mean i was rooting for Bader hari like i hate it when the black hat wins you know what i mean it's really crazy for me um but i mean yeah i he's gonna want in there i think he should belong in there i'd like to see one of these younger upstarts maybe be able to take advantage of some of the muay thai stylings that he's not familiar with and use that to their advantage as far as nganu I hadn't even considered that, but this definitely sounds like the kind of thing that he might be interested in doing. One would definitely have to make the money right because I know money wasn't the only thing, but he definitely wants to get paid his worth. Um, I would just be nervous, and I think he should be able to, just the fact that he's so much better, be able to outclass the competition. But I've seen Nganu look pretty sloppy in some fights. And when it comes to just a skill set standpoint, he'd definitely be bringing a knife to a gunfight in a Muay Thai tournament because he's not a great technique-based fighter. I don't disagree with anything you said. This is the only problem. He has the Pereira effect. It Nothing else matters. I remember when we were talking to TJ and he was making his, you know, staking his claim as to why Izzy was going to beat Pereira. And I said, I don't know. And, you know, I love Izzy, but I don't know. And as you know, I was one of the first people calling for that fight, even when people were saying Pereira didn't look that good coming into MMA. And I said, well, there's a couple factors. One, 
no matter what people say, when a guy beats you, especially when he knocks you out, there's a certain mental thing that you have to get over. And it's not easy, no matter how other people see this guy. And number two, Pereira has that that true touch you and your lights go out type of thing. And so in the kickboxing match, both of them, the first one, I watched it. I think uh, Izzy should have got the knot. The second one, Izzy was beating him up. He came and knocked Izzy out. There's no argument. A knockout is no argument. In this MMA fight, Izzy was on his way to, I'm not going to say easy, but it wasn't that difficult of a win he was on his way to. One punch, lights goes out. And I don't think, although I think Pereira's good and I do think he's technical, when you see him against somebody world-class like an Izzy where his striking is really world-class, he looks average until he puts your lights out. That's Ngannou. So at that point, you can never count him out even if you have quote-unquote world-class guys because one shot and your lights go completely out. And if I'm not mistaken over there in Muay Thai, I believe they use the smaller MMA gloves. So, you know, that's a whole nother ballgame. Some of those guys may not even be used to those. That's what he's absolutely used to. And even some of the styles of them blocking and stuff like that, it doesn't work the same with boxing gloves and MMA gloves. They're a lot smaller. So from that standpoint, you know, I think it would be crazy. And I believe him when he said money wasn't the issue. And I agree with what you said. I think he still wants to be paid, quote unquote, his worth. But I don't think money was the issue. I think he he's one of those people, and I'm one of those people. I'll take less money for my freedom. So I saw something come out today. I didn't get a chance to review it before this that said. I'm a whore, bro. I'll just take the money. <laughs> I saw something that came out today. I didn't get a chance to review it before this, but allegedly the deal that Ngannou would have received from the UFC was worth $24 million. Now, I don't know over how many fights or whatever. Once again, I didn't get a chance to look through it, but let's say he has the freedom to box and everything else he wants to do. I absolutely think he would take half that money with a promotion that's going to let him go and make other money because, for one, I believe he can make more money without being locked down. So let's just say, for easy math, that was a you know that twenty four million was a a ten fight contract. So that's two point four million a fight, right? I think he would take one one point two million a fight if he can have his own sponsors and he can box when he wants to make more money because he can make up a lot of that. And I mean, how much would he make with one fight with Tyson Fury, which by the way, I've said on this podcast and I'll repeat would be the worst decision of his life. I think that is a terrible matchup for him. But once again, how much would he make with one fight with Tyson Fury? He'd make more than that 12 million. I'm pretty sure that he would be missing over 10 fights. I would say he'd be just as outmatched as Connor would be was against Mayweather. I think it would and, be worse. And Connor even well it would be worse because Tyson Fury's a, got a power puncher and he hits harder. At least you have that going. Um I'm just saying I do think it's he would probably make enough money 
and with it being outside of the realm of his specialty, I think it would be a loss that Ngannou's career would be able to overcome. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. The reason why I think the matchup is worse, though, is because of styles, right? And Gano really has that flat foot come for it, I'm going to knock you out. So he'll be dangerous really early for Tyson Fury, and we know that Tyson Fury can be put on the canvas. And he can be, it's usually early in the fight, right? Uh, or right in that middle part of the fight. But Tyson Fury, I'm not even going to go into the gloves, Yes, I still think that he's a cheater with the gloves, but that's neither here nor there. He is a very skilled guy. We talked about before, a lot of big, long guys don't know how to use their reach. That's not Tyson Fury. He's a boxer boxer. Ngannou's a puncher. So he's not going to try to knock Ngannou out with every shot, but he's going to frustrate Ngannou and keep putting that jab out there and bust up his nose and everything like that. And We've seen Ngannou get frustrated in fights, and when he gets frustrated, his output dramatically drops, and that's when he starts throwing those wild punches. And at that point in time, he's just going to be completely picked apart and out of his element. In the first three rounds, when he comes out aggressive, does he have a chance? Of course, he could put anybody's lights out. Beyond that, you know, maybe I give him the round four. Beyond that, he would just get picked apart. And I think what it took eight rounds for um, for uh, uh, Mayweather to get Connor right. I forget how many rounds it was. I think he got him in the eighth it round. Might have been 10. Might have been. Yeah, might have been. But I don't think that Ngano Tyson Fury lasts that long. I really just don't see it going that long of a fight. But neither here nor there. The point of that was, <laughs> the point of that was, I absolutely see him taking less money in an MMA promotion to have the freedom to have his own promotions, which I know one would allow him to do that. One still allows you to put a banner up. You don't drape it on the inside of the cage, but you can put it on the outside of the cage. So how much money is that already, right? He can get money from that. And then him being able to also box or do other things if they allow for that. Yeah, I think he would. I think he would entertain something like that. And he he possibly could be a guy that I could bring in like huge international sponsors that could make some big money. Listen, if he decided that he just wanted to go over in Japan, he would be the new beast, but better, right? Another guy that I want to do a gloves and roses on on the beast, but um, and for those that know don't know who I'm talking about, shoot. Now, see this one will take me 15 minutes to remember his name. It's Bob uh, Sapp. Bob Sapp. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Sapp. Listen, you said that with such disdain as if you already don't know I wasn't. You could do your gloves. Do that gloves and roses by yourself. <laughs> Listen, Bob Sapp is an all-time phenomenal guy. But and he's he's reemerged on YouTube now. And what's crazy is he's still big as hell, but he's in pretty good shape, especially for his age. I think he gotta be pushing like 60, but he looks way healthier than most of these old kickboxers and MMA fighters. But that said, if you remember, one of the biggest reasons why he was such a phenomenon, it wasn't because he was good because he wasn't. It was because of his size. I mean, you just don't see that type of spectacle and what they were able to put together. And I think over in Asia, you get an Ngano, what is he, like 6'4", 265? You get Ngano walking around over there, he becomes a megastar. 
in my opinion. And, you know, he can make a tremendous amount of money doing that. No, I get what you're saying. Um, and not pay taxes. I just, I just hate the fucking, uh, like Bob said, like, I just want, everybody should understand what you're saying, but Bob Sapp and Ghana, that's worlds apart. I remember I seen Bob Sapp beating the shit out of the refrigerator Perry on a, a tough man contest. And Lawrence Taylor was announcing it and threatened to jump him in the parking lot afterwards. <laughs> yeah, Bob Sapp, the main factor is the freak factor. But I don't think I don't think you could have a bigger freak to come into MMA than Bob Sapp. I mean the mountain did boxing right i think he had one fight he would have to come in the mma for you to see a bigger freak than bob sap and i still don't think either him scaled down which you know he's way more scaled down or him and and you know what do they call it um you know the strongest man competition neither of those look freakier than bob sap almost nobody looked freakier than bob sap and it's about to show us about the spectacle at AJ a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know? But that said, that would be, that would make my day if we had that bracket because that's actually a matchup I would like to see. I would love to see, I would love to see Roy Green against Nganu Muay Thai. I think that would be great. And I think both of them would have a good chance of getting through their brackets. Depending on who all one allows over there, it depends, right? Because there's some really good heavyweights out there. I Actually, I'll throw some something else out there, which is, you know, and the UFC should take notes of some of this stuff, but the UFC should do an old school like they did with that Pride Grand Prix and they should send Pereira over there to be in that open weight tournament. Let him knock a few people out. We know he's a fucking heavyweight moonlighting as a 185er. Nobody believes he's 185, right? And, you know, loan him out. Send him over there and let him grab another belt and bring it back. It'll bring even more eyes to the UFC. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see Piero over there. Yeah. Now... Last but not least on this list, one also in this event announced DJ Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus Adriano Moraes 3. So for people that don't know, a little backstory, DJ came over from the UFC after being a long reigning, you know, uh, title holder, got traded for Ben Askren from one, went over to one. One, the flyweight, was it flyweight over there? Let me double check that weight class. It was, yeah, the flyweight. flyweight. Won the flyweight, 135 Grand Prix. So he got the belt for that, which is, you know, a small tournament. And then that allowed him to go ahead and fight for the championship, which was against Adriano Moraes. And he got knocked out. And then they decided to make a part two, which what I thought was a really bad idea. Because he's so much bigger than DJ, it makes no sense. And DJ knocked him out pretty much the same way he got knocked out. And now they have a part three, which I still don't like. But DJ's the champion now, so I can't be against it. You got to defend your title, you got it. And 
I'm interested to see how this one's going to turn out, but I still need DJ to just stop fighting these big dudes for all the reasons that we already talked about. But your thoughts on the fight. I agree with everything you said. It's unfortunate that, uh, like you said, he is the champion, so he has to defend that belt. I just don't get why, you know, went over there. I guess we've talked about it before. Confidence in your spirit, talent, being able to carry you at the 135. He went all the way over to Japan. Just stick at the same, stick at the weight class. Still fight at 125. DJ's a small dude. I don't think that the cuts never seemed like it's been a problem. It's never been anything I've heard of. So I've watched both of the fights. Um, and I'm just real nervous. So even the fight that DJ won, and he, it was an amazing knockout. Great fight. Exciting fight. One of the hardest fights I've ever had to watch, though, because. There was a lot of times when I thought DJ was done and he pulled Agreed. it out, which makes it more impressive. So now that I know that he won and I don't have the stress and I can imagine the flying knee, then yeah, that's all awesome. But uh, having to roll him back out there, it, I'm really nervous for that fight. And then another thing is... You know, it's kind of like we we were talking the other day about Moreno versus Figueredo, right? And I get that they're all great fights and they're exciting or whatever. But they're the only people I've seen those two fight for years now, you know? And it got old with Cain Velasquez. It's old with Moreno, Moreno and Figueredo. And now, I mean, I know he did the Rod Tang thing, but Mariah is basically the only dude that he's fought going back to 2019 now so now we're coming up to four years this is the only guy who's fought in an mma fight and i just think it's something that i've always liked about mma but it's something that's been irritating me more lately i don't think we need to always give out these immediate immediate rematches immediate rubber matches like some of that stuff can be something that happens down the road you know what i mean it just it's something i'm getting frustrated with lately with in mma in general yeah, you know, I agree. This is the thing. Even if I think an immediate rematch is deserved from like a really long reigning champion, I don't think that it's a rematch after a rematch after a rematch, right? If the other guy loses and he's not the long reigning champion, I don't know that he gets that rematch. If you lose, you definitely don't get it, even if it was a close fight, right? So I think that's a part of the problem. And, you know, to your point um, with the whole Adriano thing, outside of that tournament, that's the only person he's fought. In the tournament, he fought a few other people as far as DJ. But outside of that tournament, that's the only person he's fought MMA because the uh, Rotang fight was not an MMA fight, as we talked about. It's a mixed rules fight, right? So in MMA, he had the tournament. He won the championship. And pretty much from that point forward, he's fighting Morass. That's it. That's that's the fight, right? So to your point, I don't you know necessarily agree with that. And also, going back to what you talked about at 125, I mean, if he dropped down to 125, the champion at 125 right now is Jarrett Brooks. Jarrett Brooks is, he is five foot two, 
125 pounds. As we know, DJ is 5'3", 125 pounds. DJ never fights guys his size. He's this never would, been close to the bigger guy. Exactly. And now he would be fighting at the natural weight class and guys his size, whereas Adriano is, what, 5'8", I believe? Let me go to it real quick. But I believe he's like 5'8", or something like that. And so that's a... I mean, as we talked about before, when you have this level skill fighters, that's a lot to give up. Yeah, he's 5'8", 135, and he, you well, know, he's when you 5'8 see, with a big frame too, though. That's what I was going to say. When you see them in the ring, he looks massive compared to DJ. It's he's not a noticeably just larger man. Correct. He's considerably bigger than he's considerably bigger than even like uh, Dominic Cruz versus DJ. Yes, absolutely. He's even bigger than that. Yep. Dominic doesn't have those really broad shoulders. He has a more wiry frame. Adriano easily looked like he could be a 55 fighter, you know, in my opinion. He has that type of frame where if he put on 20 more pounds, he could be a 55 fighter, right? If 45 easy, he can go up, right? And DJ probably should be going down. So that's what you have here, you know, as matched up. So, but that said, I'll definitely be watching it, and that fight happens to be the first card. Now, one has been doing, since they made this deal with Prime, they've been doing one on Prime on U.S. Times, right? Where you can see them, instead of it being, you know, like 10 in the morning or whatever, they're at like our Prime time. This is going to be the first one fight that's actually going to be here in the States. So they're going to be fighting in Colorado, on May 5th, um, El Cinco de Mayo. So, and another important day in my life, but they will be fighting on that day. And I got a little challenge I'll be doing on that day, but later that day, I will be finding somewhere to watch that fight. I'm not sure if it's going to be on Prime or not, but I'll definitely be finding it to watch. But yeah, so one is officially making their move and doing it with a guy that's blowing up over in Asia that once again, we've talked about, for whatever reason, the UFC cannot figure out what to do with DJ, and I don't get it at all because he's interested, he has personality, he's dynamic. You know, other than him being small, he's everything that you want in a champion, and they had no idea what to do with him. And so I hope they do big numbers. I'll be watching it too. I'll be watching it like this most of the time, like through through my fingers. <laughs> but when I think of, uh, when I look at DJ from when you're talking about marketing him, I don't even know how much you have to market him. Like he's a really likable dude. He's charismatic. He's kind of a nerd, which is kind of interesting. And I think a good example is you can kind of look at what the, uh, the lions did with Jamal Williams, where you, I mean, yeah, he got some marketing push or whatever, but a lot of it was not even so much marketing as it was like, just let this guy be himself and let's show people how interesting he really is. And you see, he had his best year ever. He's a thousand yard rusher now, broke Barry Sanders touchdown records. Like, I mean, I feel like they could try take some kind of like an approach almost like that with DJ, you know? Yeah. I think the problem is the UFC has a formula, right? It's like they have a spreadsheet with a macro on it. If you don't fit into that formula, they don't know what to do with you. And then once they start getting rid of all of the outside deals, that became a problem. What they should have done was partner with, the fighters on those deals because 
especially by DJ being a big streamer, there's all type of either games or um, eSport teams or whatever else that I think would have loved to sponsor DJ because I think he both represents being a badass fighter and, as you mentioned, a nerd and a gamer and everything like that. And I think whether the UFC realizes it or not, there's a lot of people coming up that fit into that category. There's a huge market for that. It's a giant market, and and I think you nailed it on the head. And it's funny because we put Dana in this position as this great promoter, and now there's obviously things he's done very well. But no, he has his one play, you know, and he's been fortunate to have talent that's been able to. He you he finds the ones that work and he funnels it towards his little system that works and everybody else he kind of lets go by the wayside. But yeah, I think that's what it is. Is he just has he's a one trick pony when it comes to the promotion and if you can't be promoted the way he wants to promote it promote you, then he's yeah. not gonna do it. Exactly. And and but, I did look at it. Mm-hmm. So this fight's gonna happen in May. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how quick of a turnaround they're looking. But DJ hasn't been doing quick turnaround fights. And I'm especially assuming if he's fighting in America, depending on how it goes, they might want to have him headline another American card, mm-hmm. which will take a while to put together. But once October hits, Marias will be the only person he's fought in MMA in four years. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's in crazy. four fucking years, one of possibly debatably the goat of all time and we've just been watching him fight this one gigantic dude for four years that's just how it works sometimes that's uh, That's um, not what we sent you to japan for dj (laughs) i want to throw out one more thing and we'll make this one kind of quick because we've already kind of hit that hour mark but i did want to throw it out there in the last episode one of the things we talked about was the ufc seems like they don't know what to do with their one women's division Anything outside of 115. 115, exciting fights, multiple fights a year. 145, pretty much non-existent. 135, one championship fight. 125, one championship fight. What if they did some type of open weight MMA tournament or, you know, and this is the thing, though. Do it like one and make it some big prize where you would attract all of these women that really you can attract them to the UFC and to the women's division, but make it an open 125, 135, 145 type of thing. I'd leave 115 alone. You can get girls at 115, but 125, 135, 145 come in. I don't care if it's a, it, I don't know if they would do anything else. They're so stuck on MMA. But I think it would be dope if they did something to kickboxing. But a MMA women's tournament and the winner of the tournament gets to choose any champion that they want to fight in 125, 135, or 145. And out of that, you'll be able to create a bunch of new matchups. You may even allow the runner-up to choose next and fight for a title. And I think that would be super dope and exciting. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it'd be cool because there's definitely a stale feeling to those divisions. The problem is the way you're promoting it isn't going to work for Dana because it's like, hey, Dana, you should try this. It's new and it's interesting and it's innovative and the fans might like it. 
then he's gonna be like, yeah, I'm not into it. So Dana, this could also be a way to trap some of these outside fighters into your shitty UFC contract. So there's that for you. That might get them on board. Might be sold on that one. (laughs) Yeah, but and that's the reason why, like I said, I think one of the big things that one is doing for this, and this is a play out of PFL's playbook. Put that big million dollar prize up, right? Give them with for this women's tournament. You can still give them, you know, 10 and 10, 15 and 15, whatever it is, right, in the tournament. So they're still getting paid something. But the winner gets that million-dollar prize, you know, and I think it would be I think it would be huge. Or even do this, make it two divisions, you know, make a, a 145 down and then make a um, – Make a like a one thirty down, right? So make it two divisions, and then put a half million up for each of them. And once again, the winner gets to choose and fight, and pick a champion to fight. One, I think the tournament would be excited. Two, I think that would get a lot of people. And three, you're building anticipation for the winner for them to announce who they want to fight. That would be huge. Okay, now that you won this, who do you want to fight? That would be huge. Yeah, you know? I think it'd be dope. All right, that's it. That pretty much wraps up everything I had. Did you have anything else? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Call us, Dana. We always got these ideas for you. <laughs> Dana's at home like, these two idiots. So let me tell you about these two idiots. Dude, we'll you do probably, it for half the money of the Nelk Boys. Us. Right, you have nicknames for us. <laughs> All right, everybody. As usual, thank you for listening to the podcast. Come back and listen again. That wraps up another great Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.